Hello, I'm Graham. And I'm Chris. And we're two Pet Shop Boys fans from West Yorkshire in the north of England. And this is the third episode of Pet Shop Boys In Depth, a podcast for Pet Shop Boys fans everywhere. We've called it In Depth because it gives us license to go all the way with fan analysis and crazy theories. And of course, because we both love the Japanese CD of the same name that came with a cool free phone card. Chris and I are far from podcast professionals, so please be gentle with us and prepare yourself for an amateur sound of two fans just simply having a chat. And this is, of course, no way official or endorsed by Pet Shop Boys themselves. So come with us as we record the third part in what is so far a trilogy. Kind of like Hotspot. But recorded in Huddersfield rather than Hansa and hopefully not ushering in a global pandemic. United by a shared love of one band, can two strangers who have never presented anything before spin one pub chat out into something that other people might bear to listen to? There's only one way to find out. So Chris, when we sat down, we talked about doing in-depth discussions of singles and albums. And when I suggested introspective, you came up with a wild theory that you had on it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I appreciate this a bit off the wall. Now, I reckon Introspective is, in its own way, a prog rock album. And I don't mind telling you that since you said that, I've gone down a little bit of a multi-stripe rabbit hole thinking about this, and I've become a little bit obsessed with it. So I think perhaps you should start with, why do you think that? I know it's an odd one. Of course, I don't really think that they went prog rock, that it's not a progressive rock album, but hear me out. So it's the third album, the three albums in, they're now established they've had hit singles around the world they're established in terms of songwriters they're the absolute kings of the three four minute pop song and this the wanting to push the envelope they're looking to do things differently and at that point they they must have felt like they could do what they wanted they've talked about their own their imperial phase where it was just hit after hit but they must have truly felt as though everything that they did turned to gold you get the impression they've got Parlophone behind them, EMI behind them. They must have had the money. They've got nobody who's saying no to them. They're surrounded by yes people. There's nobody, including themselves, holding them back. So they're not following any rules. And I think in its own way, introspective, it's a progressive experimental album. And I think that they've it's the sound of them losing the plot in but in an amazing way. So, spoiler alert, I completely agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought in the nature of science and balance, we should really try and have some criteria that we should maybe measure it against. So I should probably add a bit of a caveat that I'm not a prog rock fan. I don't really listen to prog rock, and I've always preferred a, a drum machine to a drum solo. So I've had to kind of bring in external help. So I've consulted with my friend Simon, who is a big prog rock fan and asked for his advice in some of this. <laughs> so, and I, I, I think probably the first thing is, I've always felt that prog rock and people that like prog rock are a little bit like people like Pet Shop Boys really to a degree. They're a little bit outcast from, from the normal rock world. And those of us who are pop kids, I think we're, you know, we're all a little bit outsiders in that. So I think there's some sort of similarity with prog in that respect. Well, well and interestingly, I mean, I had friends at school that liked heavy metal and prog music and actually I remember them warm it's starting to warm to Pet Shop Boys around this time and and introspective particularly I think it's definitely got an appeal to that kind of uh, audience I, I completely back that up I've got a number of my friends that this will probably be the only Pet Shop Boys album that they will that they will own so I've got four I've come up with four criteria that we can test against so first one mm-hmm. it, 
is it ambitious? Are there lots of ideas and influences within there? Second one, is it multi-instrumental? Maybe not necessarily using instruments that are associated with the genre. Is it progressive? Has it been influential? Has it moved the dial of music at all? And does it have an out there non-brand friendly packaging? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so just thinking uh, at a high level about about the album. So uh, let me set it out. Things that everyone knows. So six songs, yep. each longer than six minutes, and the, the average time for for each track is eight, eight minutes. So you know, if you'd uh, were a fan on the back of Please and Actually, you're probably scratching your head already just looking at the looking at the track listing on the sleeve. Six producers, so they've including Luis Martinez, who from Miami, so travelling uh, across the globe to to record this. If you'd already bought the single Domino Dancing, you're arguably only getting one new Pet Shop Boys composition on there, Left to My Own Devices. The rest of it is uh, is uh, cover versions or stuff that you've you've arguably got before. In fact three cover versions so there's obviously there's always on my mind that it's all right and then the cover in their own eighth wonder track in many ways so half of the album is uh, is cover versions so i guess i'm positing that as uh, signs of being slightly off the rails and not doing things conventionally but you know against the odds and against all of that clearly they they put together something that's that's quite brilliant as well if we talk about ambitious I have to say that any album that contains a, a song that's called I Want a Dog has to be classed as sort of out there and ambitious. I think you're right. I think those of those six songs, I don't think any of them are really conventional sort of standard pop songs. They cover a variety of subjects. You know, there's roundheads, pet ownership, the end of the world in It's uh, it's All Right. There, there's an Elvis song possessed by kind of house music. So this is not kind of conventional. And Neil and Chris are sort of 35, 30 years old, so they're not young people making a, a young dance album. Mm -hmm. they're, they're quite mature in that. Neil has a sort of slightly older reference point of music, has grown up with Bowie, Roxy Music, Incredible String Band. He's also probably quite well read. You know, there's, if we're talking about Domino, uh, Domino Dancing, the B side of that, Don Juan covers the political situation in the Balkans between World War II, which is not standard fare for a song. I was just going to say that's uh, slightly out there for a pop song, even <laughs> if it is a B-side. <laughs> you know, Neil's been writing for Smash Hit, so he's, he's, he's been consumed by music, lots of probably different types of music, interviewing bands, kind of experiencing that. And, and Chris being from this family of musicians and having this uh, background as a, in a, within a brass band. So there is this melting pot of of influences and it, and I think it, it feels like it's just an opportunity with the things that you said around this kind of imperial phase and just nobody saying no that that there is this opportunity to almost this unshackled opportunity to to experiment are you saying all all these uh, horrendous influences like the incredible string band have been allowed to bubble to the surface uh. I've got no idea and I, and, I, and I have to say I mean you know you only need to listen to the, compare the two and they don't sound anything alike but they're there aren't they and you don't know where these influences fall because it's it's they're all mixed up they're probably mixed up in chord progressions and just I, I think just this ambition really and this 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 creativity and, and this idea that you can you can create we, we can create what we want we can create and we've got nine minutes to create a song here we can throw whatever mm -hmm. we want into it and we can just get away with it really 
there's probably something in there as well about, uh, and obviously this isn't prog, but you know I'm picturing Chris dancing away in in Blackpool, glass collecting, and uh, you know dancing along to these nine minute mixes on the on the dance floor in Blackpool as well. I just think there's there's just you know by the time we get to 1988, there's an awful lot of influence, and they've got this ability to be able to harness it and to channel it into what would become six songs. Do we think that that ticks all the boxes? For, for an ambitious record? For an ambitious record. I would say so. That's definitely an ambitious tick. <laughs> so, multi-instrumental. Is it using lots of sounds that you wouldn't necessarily associate with the genre? Well... I mean, it kicks off with that mammoth orchestra for a start, doesn't it? And, you know, when you break it down track by track, so left to my own devices, massive orchestra, opera, classical, Debussy to a disco beat. I mean, it says it right there, doesn't it? Um, you think of Domino Dancing and they've got the whole Latino band there. You know, that's a first in terms of in- instrumentation for a Pet Shop Boys record. They've never done anything like that before. And clearly between the two, you've got I Want a Dog, which is Frankie Knuckles and the, the uh, Chicago house sound that, that he brought as well. So that, you know, that's a, just on one side of the record, that's quite a scope in terms of instrumentation and, uh, you know, arguably experimentalism. And I mean, and the second side isn't any less ambitious or uh, uh, experimental either. I mean, it, it starts with I'm Not Scared, so there's, there's lots of, what, the kind of 1968 Paris riot samples and you know it was a song that they gave to somebody else that they decided to claim back and sing themselves then you go to the Elvis Presley song or that way you know Willie Nelson song whichever one we want to whatever way we want to say it you know and then all of a sudden we've got Elvis uh, Elvis Presley but we've also got Stockaken and Waterman and, and Phil Hardin in there and oh well it's, it's more it's PWL rather than Stockaken and Waterman isn't it really I guess. They took the Phil Hardin remix and, all, and kind of remade it for int- the introspective version. It was the version on the um, second 12-inch of Always On My Mind. I think they must have uh, kind of revisited here. It's got that same hook through yeah. it. But then, of course, it explodes in the middle in terms of that crazy breakdown. I mean, uh, that, again, madness. You take, you've got the, your big number one hit that basically you chop into three parts, and in the middle of it, you... you chuck in this kind of acid house section this rap section i mean anybody who was buying the album expecting to get the seven inch version um <laughs> th- well they've got to they've got a, a good five minutes to get through before the seven inch <laughs> kicks in fantastic but, but, but it does it fan- it works fantastic as well and that, i think that's the that's the key in that isn't it isn't, there's no, nothing in it is gimmicky it actually works it fits and it it fits within the the, the longer theme of the album as well uh and sets you up for it's all right, which is a, a you know a, a great way to, to to end the album and 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 ultimately on a, a positive sound that a well, positive word of everything's going to be all right. And quite a hippie sentiment, really, and maybe that's uh, I don't know if that plays into or against prog rock, but there's definitely a hip, hippie vibe coming in at the end. Definitely. I mean, you mentioned producers, and and also mentioning uh, left to my own devices, and and again, if we're looking for further links to prog, uh, there's Trevor Horn. And, and again, in my in my playlist of of top ten albums, top ten songs, mm-hmm. prog songs that I needed to listen to, <laughs> uh, yes, feature really prominently in there. And uh, he was obviously the producer and lead singer of them for a while. And again, it's just these 
extra little bits of when you start looking there are just little prog influences all over that and I think it took him six months to produce that song as well apparently. <laughs> well I think he, he probably took some of that ethos uh, certainly into the way that he, he thought about those arrangements for, for introspective I can see that entirely in, in terms of being multi-instrumental well it's multi-instrumental you're definitely right are there. we giving, giving yeah, that a tick that's got a tick as well okay we're claiming we're, we're at ambitious tick we're claiming uh, multi-instrumental tick so you're third one what was it it was about being uh, is it progressive has it has it been influential has it moved the dial in terms of music hmm <laughs> well famously kept off number one by rattle and hum ah. which i would say is the very definition of regressive rock mm. uh, what bob dylan sun studios i mean the whole film is effectively a rockumentary and you know i i think that album pretty much defined that whole kind of bloated pretentious rock that we were all trying to rally against I think it was that that rock environment of the late 80s that possibly made it quite difficult to be a Pet Shop Boys fan is that it, mm -hmm. I think now we'd probably call it toxic masculinity <laughs> but it's it's this idea of being yeah we're all mm. we're all lads we've all we're all sure we're all we're all in bands we've got models to be in our videos and things like that and it was all that and i like to think that introspective killed that off i mean it didn't quite do enough to knock it off number one but i do think that it it, it set this trend in motion for for where we were going to go in the next kind of couple of years well it's interesting you say you two and, and rattle and hum because um you know you think about where they went with their career and their pop album with the giant lemon and the sequined uh, stetson so i think they definitely uh, stole a trick from pet shop boys kind of uh, post rattle and hum post introspective so maybe maybe they were kept off number one but maybe they they won the battle in the long term i think you know if we're going to say that it, it it put a dint in the in the world of rock, you know, I think it it, it pretty much ushered in this this rock hiatus that that lasted a good five six years really until Nirvana came back and the whole kind of grunge scene, mm -hmm. and you know that period in between is pretty much dominated by you know indie dance, you know guitar the young guitar bands that are coming through have all got this love of dance music that's mm -hmm. inflecting in all the music. Know, and, and and that's really where the 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 energy is going to come from in the next few years that and and kind of these dance bands that suddenly just sprung up out of nowhere like the klf and you know adamski and people like that that were just suddenly making records in a bedroom and and just that energy was just um, fantastic uh, and were you what were you buying at this point what did you love out of all of that well i'm just coming out of my teens i was kind of in these two sort of sides really I was on the one side I was at Alexandra Palace and at Spike Island doing the whole, Stone, really? Roses, doing okay. the whole Stone Roses thing oh, yeah. and Happy Mondays and loving <laughs> loving that yeah. but you know also we've got we've still got Behaviour to Come and which is again a completely different album but you know it's just it's it's just exciting isn't it you know this is the time when I was 18 trying to get into nightclubs where you had to wear a shirt you had to wear the right shoes otherwise they wouldn't let you in and, and two years later, we're in fluorescent t-shirts and we're, we're raving and we're dancing in fields. And it's, it's, it's this time is when all of this kind of melting pot is happening. And you know, it's so, so exciting. And, 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 and the next few years really are just gonna kind of just create this boom for, for, for music. I must say, you know, you mentioned the KLF. I, 
I still love the KLF records, those Stadium House tracks, Free M Eternal and uh, Last Train to Transcentral particularly. I just think they're absolutely phenomenal pieces of pop music. And, and they, they do feel like they are influenced by introspective. They're just that, you know, you can use all, all 48 tracks and then just bounce it all down to one more and just put another 47 tracks on top of it just throw everything on there and that there are there are no rules and and just make this big loud sounding noise and and it's just fantastic klf are on record as pet shop boys fans and the um kylie said to jason that uh, that they put out is um the, the starting point for that's left to my own devices and if you listen to it through that lens you can definitely hear uh, uh, hear the sound of Pet Shop Boys influencing KLF quite quite heavily there yeah and that just that that White Room album which is just kind of is so out there and just it's such a, a beautiful album and it's got these moments of just big dance but it's also just got these sort of just quiet moments on as well it's just great did you dance in fields Tell me about uh, your your raving days. How much? Yeah, some of my well, stories. they were kind of quite tame, really. Uh, they were largely the kind of organised ones. Uh, I know that at one of the occasions uh, we were at we were we were at Wandu and uh, we all get got given a flyer for this big rave the following Saturday that was going to be in, under the motorway of the M- M1, and we were all classic a bit, rave location. Classic rave location, and uh, it was all a bit. Are we going to go to this? It, it might be a bit hard. It seemed a little bit hardcore for us, if we were being totally <laughs> honest. And uh, made the decision not to go. And I can still remember waking up on the Sunday morning, and it was the lead story on Radio One was how 200 people had been, this 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 rave in Wakefield had been completely raided. They'd all been arrested. Oh, Everybody was just yeah. chaos. It was like maybe that's possibly one of the better decisions that I made in my life. <laughs> back at that time and let's say as a as an 18 year old and there's two albums that that seem to herald what was coming new orders technique which has got this kind of balearic rave ecstasy fueled album that just kind of sounds like the future this optimism you know again we're we're in a backdrop of kind of iraq wars and recessions at this time mm-hmm. and the kind of last days of, of, of thatcherism and things and and actually there's this this joyous album comes out of that but then you think well introspective came out three months before that kind of managed to combine all of that really but kind of maybe with that added pop music and gay culture and and so on and those two albums for me just kind of of led the way into Mm -hmm. the 90s really it's uh, strange to think back and think that they came out so close together you know two albums that i still play you know, most months I would I would say, I think Techniques an absolutely fantastic album. I love the sound, the blend of the electronics and the acoustic guitar, and then you know you've you've got Fine Time up front, which I guess was a bit of a uh, a retake of the, the Blue Monday idea, but that was, you know that's them kind of doing their own version of Acid House, and uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic album. And just thinking about the um, the sleeves as well, you know, they're both kind of day. Maybe we'll talk more about the sleeves in a little while, but you know, they've both got this kind of day glow uh, rave quality to them as well. Yeah, no, I've not really considered the similarities of that, even though they are completely different. But mm-hmm. yeah, I guess they uh, they are quite similar. And obviously, all this is taking place in a, an album that's called Introspective, which doesn't really, you know, conjure up 
any of the, the the sound of it. You know, it doesn't sound introspective. I mean, it sounds like some kind of art installation, doesn't it? It sounds like a bedsit album. You know, the kind of thing that maybe uh, you know a, a, a Smiths album. And it was, you know, that was even on the cover of Enemy, wasn't it? Were, were the Smiths you can dance to? Completely agree with that. And I think, you know, I guess both Neil Tennant and and, and Morrissey are both kind of seem to write from the same place. They sort of share some of those sort of similar themes. I think there's a lot of similarities between uh, between the Smiths and Pet Shop Boys. I mean, I, I love both bands. I, I was, I'm still a Morrissey a Morrissey fan. You know, the, there's a lot of similarities, isn't there? The, uh, obviously, they're both Northern, and that's I think that's very important within, within pop music. They both position themselves as, as outsiders, you know, this kind of suspicion of London. You know, they're, they're bedsit people, but Pet Shop Boys uh, are also dance people, you know, and Chris does both, doesn't he? We can picture him da- dancing in his, his bedsit. And I think what it did was it tapped into, if, if you were an enemy fan that liked rock music that liked indie music actually here's a band you can get on board with because they share a lot of this you know the kind of outsider nature of the bands that you like but you can dance to them as well so i think it was quite a clever way of kind of tapping those people on the shoulder and saying you're invited to this party as well yeah it's possibly the start i mean you'd have to track it all back but it probably is that start where they are starting to become credible you know, they'd been this pop band and this kind of maybe throwaway pop band, but now, like I say, you know, they'd been stitched up by the music press a number of times in the lead up to that, but maybe this is where they're just starting to sort of think, well, actually, maybe this this might be a real thing here. This might be a real decent band. We might need to get on get on side with this. When 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 history's written, we want to prove that we'll that we were on the right side of it. I, I, I was having a little think actually about the what are the most Smiths-like Pet Shop Boys songs or or tenant lyrics, and there's this there's a little cluster of them, kind of later tonight, nervously, new boy, which I think were all kind of written maybe at the same time that have got to my mind lyrically that kind of bedsit feel. I could imagine Morrissey writing uh, writing those, and then there's a couple of moments in the catalogue where you know Neil's said at this point i was channeling morrissey in, in my <laughs> lyrics which i think is a you know a brilliant idea so miserableism that's him writing a song from the viewpoint of morrissey i mean it's there in the title isn't it miserableism and also interestingly getting away with it and, and when you think of the you know lines like walking in the rain just to get wet on purpose and i love you more than you love me that's morrissey through and through and i've quite ironic really that you if you just imagine being johnny marr and you spent all this time in the smiths and uh you know writing guitar parts uh to morris's lyrics and then you leave and you think oh i'm going to be able to do something else and the first major project electronic and you've got the first set of lyrics to the first single and, the, and, and neil tennant's waltzed in and said i've written this in the style of morrissey i mean you know i'm surprised johnny didn't down down his guitar right there I mean, I think that the, you know, when you go through and look at all the lyrics, I think the whole of Very, maybe with the exception of Go West, but you know, I think the whole of Very could be a Smiths album. Okay. If you actually listen to kind of what some of those themes are around, like Dreaming of the Queen. And I can the, imagine, you, imagine Dreaming of the Queen. That's has been a Morrissey. Like. Yeah, and like the you know Young Offender and things like that. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I can see see those being kind of Smiths songs, but. But likewise, then, if you flip that and you listen to The Queen is Dead, 
imagine those with drum drum machines underneath and that that could be a Pet Shop Boys album so I think there's definitely some sort of similarity there between the two right I think I've taken us off topic there haven't I we need to let's go back to your list so that was the third thing has it been influential has it moved the dial of music and I think we can are we going to claim that's another yes oh absolutely yeah categorical yes good tick (laughs) (laughs) right what's your what's your fourth one so the fourth one, does it have out there non-band friendly packaging? Non-band friendly? What's non-band friendly? Well, I mean, it doesn't have a picture of the band on it. Oh, I start. see. It, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm imagining these um, prog rock sleeves with, uh, I don't know, um, snakes and uh, <laughs> naked women coming out of water and, uh, you know, God knows what else, uh, shots of uh, celestial <laughs> night, night skies and things. And, of course, you know, all the, all the Pink Floyd sleeves, that kind of thing. Is that, That's a prog sleeve, is it? They very rarely feature members of the band, or if they are, they're, they're kind of represented by dragons or something <laughs> like that. Uh, so, I mean, it, it clearly doesn't have one of these Peter Dean or Hypnosis kind of designers, or I think were the big kind of prog designers. Maybe Mark Farrow is there, Peter Dean, in that in that respect. And I was also thinking about, in one of the other podcasts, Jeff from his record show. Oh, Jeff from Groove Records, uh, who, well, Jeff, definitely a prog fan. And uh, he was the guy who um, thought that intros- introspective should have been called Rainbow because of the sleeve. Uh, uh, probably, he's probably thinking of Rainbow because they're one of his favourite bands. Well, maybe, <laughs> but I was also sort of thinking then that, you know, if we're going to talk about Rainbows, then maybe, you know, Maybe he was onto something at that point by, you know, thinking about Dark Side of the Moon and the Pink Floyd cover uh, yep. with the prism, and that's got the colours coming off it. And whether that is some sort of homage to that, I mean, that's you know, that's an album that was released 18 years earlier than than Introspective. I mean, it is a striking cover. It's, um, it, I mean, f- for me, it looks like rave. It looks like uh, it's day glow. Can you almost hear the air horn. I, I well think. Underneath I, it. I think so. I mean, um, and maybe we weren't quite a, a rave at its full flight at that point, but it looks to me like it sounds. It looks crazy, in your face, brash, bright. So let's break down the sleeve. So I know it's inspired, or maybe we should say it's lifted wholesale from the designer's guide of colour. So I've brought it in. Do you know, I, you've brought this book in. I've never seen this. I knew that they'd taken it. I'd read in catalogue um, that they'd taken this from from a book that presumably Farrow had on his shelf, but you've actually got a copy of that, and, it, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> so if you find this copy of this book, which you can buy on Amazon... And what is it? It's Co- the Designer's Guide to Colour okay. 3. Colour spelled in the American style without a U. Yes. Uh, so if you advance to page... 42 of that you'll just see that the entire book is just full of square pictures full of patterns with various colour combinations within that and is the idea is I mean it looks like it's a a designer's guide so they can look and be inspired by colours that go together pretty much so yeah and block 419 is the is effectively the introspective sleeve it's the LP version that isn't it it's the LP version yeah yeah Uh, underneath it 420 cassette cassette and then 421 <laughs> is not quite the cd version and in fairness the cassette version isn't quite the cd version as well uh, sorry isn't quite no the, they've uh, all had a little tweak haven't they so like they weren't quite good enough and they've had to uh, add their own little uh, little stamp as well yeah but they were confident with the interest with the uh, with the album with the vinyl sleeve so okay. that's that has stayed 
uh-huh. exactly uh, exactly the same. Yeah, I love them. They look great. And looking across the rest of that page, it's in you know they've um, if they decided to release another nine versions of it, they've got another nine colorways to go at as well, haven't they? Well, I think more alarming is when you see some of the other patterns <laughs> and what the album could have looked like, which is uh, sort of scary. Well, but I, I'm glad they opened it at that particular page. Then definitely, absolutely. I, I mean, I have to say one thing that has always I think bugs me a little bit about it is, and I think this is just my kind of completeness and neatness driving me is mm. there's seven stripes on there and i feel like there should only be six stripes and i know they've they've, uh. they've brought it so that uh, you know it should be a stripe per song in my head well that's what it was for yes wasn't it when they got the tick that's got the um 11 11 squares for for 11 tracks so but i must say i'd never quite thought that they'd got the wrong number of um, <laughs> of stripes on the on introspective that's interesting for the uh, they brought the, the the limited edition version with the uh, oh the twelve inch singles with the twelve the inch singles yeah. and, and yeah. that they lost one of the colours for that so they lost one of the yellows off the cover so for that's that, so. that's got your six so stripes so I'm, I'm oh, so happy with that as uh, a yes. cover but I have to say it doesn't look as nice as, <laughs> as, as having two yellows in there right I'm going to send us down another quick okay. uh, rabbit hole right, here so. Imagine what what if rather than doing their six tracks uh, of eight minutes a piece, what if someone had said to them, "No, you can't do that." Um, think of the American market. We need ten tracks at four minutes each, and just so just imagine someone. Thank thankfully they didn't do this, but imagine if somebody had uh, persuaded them not to go down that route. What if Introspective was a traditional ten track album? So, hear me out. You've you've got your six. Yeah. You need to add another four tracks on. Okay. So I'll I'll give you I'll give you a couple here. I'll give you. I get excited. Yeah. So that's. I mean, I think that's a no-brainer. You know, obviously we're talking here. You've got to you've got to feel tracks here from the same period that are yep. going to fit. So, I get excited. They, in fact, it was the first track recorded for Introspective, but they had to steal it back because they needed a b-side for part and what's really crazy is and this just shows what kind of mindset they were in at this point they even apparently asked eric clapton to play guitar on it so they were recording what ended up being a b-side and they thought we need a guitar player i know i know who will agree to play guitar on this track eric clapton and then another one so i get excited so i'm i'm uh, you know, kind of filled in that for our 10-track version. Um, and then Bounce, which was this... Um, now, you can find it on YouTube uh, in demo form, but this was a track that clearly they recorded at the same time. In fact, they were going to call the whole album Bounce at, at one point, apparently, um, because that's what people did instead of dancing in clubs. They were just bouncing up and down. Um, but I think, I mean, it's a, it's one of the great lost songs, really, although you can find it, but it's uh, lost in terms of a, a finished version. I think that's a really great song. It's got this funny oddball thing where the drum pattern kind of changes all the way through where it sticks it stays on the same pattern but the instrumentation keeps changing and it's good it's a good track uh, they should definitely re- revisit that but i can imagine a properly produced version of that on a on a 10 track version of introspective i think that'd be quite neat yeah for, for, for me I, I i'm kind of probably less about the exact song and more what it sounds like if that's if that makes sense so 
I'm kind of so I'm looking at maybe what songs and uh, sorry what styles okay. are missing. Yeah. Oh, so, what's missing? What's missing? Because okay. I, I see that as it is at the moment, none of those songs necessarily fit together. Although they they work as a complete set, but okay. they're all very very different in their own ways. Oh, so, yes. So actually, and ironically, when you talk about Eric Clapton playing guitar. There probably is space for a rock song on there, okay. in, or a, some sort of dance rock song. So you'd go further. You'd you'd take your uh, you'd use a ten track version to go even more. Oh, prog. I'm going absolutely, ab- <laughs> absolutely. Well, I think it's. I, I can't imagine it being a normal album, so I'm yeah. going to kind of push it out. So I've I've kind of tried to. I mean, I don't know how same time period you're giving me. Uh-huh. I'm kind of working on the fact that if you probably most songs are written two years before they're recorded so well I'm, if they're pulling back I, I want a dog you can pull things from from, uh, from the future uh, oh from the future I'm go- well I'm kind of loosely going that's very prog <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> so I mean so I'm I kind of trying to look at songs that are kind of about to come out that maybe would have fitted on that album so you know we all feel better in the dark okay something like that particularly the after hours climax mix which I think is great I know we're we're in kind of brothers in rhythm territory here, and we're we're probably influencing what music's happening two years down the line. So, but we'll we'll just imagine we've got a time machine and we we'll uh, pull it back. A, on a that. prog time machine, yeah. yeah okay, uh, I'm putting music for boys, the alternate mix on there, just because uh, I'm, I'm mix, mixing this up. Well, you've gone over. full rave then, haven't I'm you? Going, well, I'm going full rave. Yeah, I think that would have blown people's heads <laughs> off if they heard that in uh, ninety in uh, 1988. And then I think also maybe kind of maybe a, a kind of. A full Chris song, so perhaps one of the crowd, something like that, which perhaps could have could have fitted as being songs that I love that don't really sound all that out there anymore to me, but probably would do if they were on an album. You you, you want more Chris on this album? I, well, I, I do, but I'm also I'm going full Pet Shop Boys fan as my tenth song is, and I'm going to put Being Boring on there. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I'm I, I mean, a I would have meant that we'd have got to hear it two years earlier, and. And I still think it was kind of lost when it came out. And I think that if Being Boring had been on here and released, the whole world would have discovered what a fantastic song that is. And I think that it could have fit just from the the various pacing and and, and so on. And and especially if it's sandwiched somewhere between the old name mixer (laughs) (laughs) and and one of the the crowd. So I've got no idea about it. I just want it to sound different and sound like the future and 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 you know and this i mean there's so many great songs that 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 could have been around there you know the you mentioned Mis- miserableism that that moby mix on there which i love that mix that's a great yeah mix. It, it might be a little bit close to the frankie knuckles mix perhaps if it's on the same album i mean you know i've got a very strict everything completely different <laughs> policy on here you know the the demo of don juan i love that mix the demo of that is just it's so exciting how I don't. It just feels like there's another version of that that is even bigger and better and more monstrous. I, I, I agree. They went a different way, didn't they, with the recorded version? I think that that demo version could have, um, like you say, a properly produced version of the demo version would have been a good fit for um, for introspective. I think we're on about twelve tracks now for our uh, ten track introspective. I'm going to throw another out there, Go on, um, and this is back with my the prog uh, hat on, and. You know, they recorded uh, again with Trevor the sound of the atom splitting, which yeah. is essentially an edited down version of a much longer jam. Well, you know, at this point, Pet Shop Boys with Trevor Horn, with St- 
Steve Lipsom were essentially jamming in the studio, playing the desk, improvising lyrics. I mean, this isn't the Pet Shop Boys, is it? It's not what we've come to expect. No. This is Trevor's prog influence. Uh, and, you know, I know that not everybody loves this track, but in the same way that they chucked it into the middle of their uh, 1989 concert tour, that they played that at... Um, I guess what was to all intents and purposes the interval let's chuck it in the middle of introspective that would have uh, scared people off wouldn't it it would do you know what i don't think i'm shoving it into the middle if we're going to put that on it then this is where i'm not sure it's ever going to work as a 10 track uh, <laughs> album I, I mean and we're you know we're hurtling towards a double album here aren't we? we're, uh, double, that's, that's very prog yeah double gatefold slave and you know let's open up side three with just <laughs> that's the only track on it just just 20 minutes of just mixing from a desk and you know if we haven't seen people off by that point then then that but just something i i I worry about that because i've heard bands do these sort of things before and i think james did it with brian eno and it's 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 a difficult listen it's 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 a challenging listen maybe we should draw a line if if we've got three three slide three I'm sort of now technically saying that nine minutes isn't long enough for a song. <laughs> I, I'm bringing 20 minute songs into the mix. I think we've gone too far here. I mean, you're talking there about um, maybe that being boring would have uh, um, got more of an audience if they'd released it earlier. Um, apparently, Neil's reflected recently that uh, he thought it was he thought Introspective was maybe released too soon after actually, and you know this. 12-inch nature, this um, more experimental um, sound maybe served to scare fans off. So, you know, it sold a a great deal. I think it was their best-selling album. But maybe people took it home, listened to it, and a fair percentage couldn't quite get their heads around it. And actually, people who were sold as being Pet Shop Boys fans through Please and Actually, maybe they bought Introspective and actually decided this band wasn't for them. And, you know, I think Neil's reflection is that if behaviour had been the follow-up to actually, it might have fared better, and actually it suffered as being as, as a result of kind of the the out there nature of of the introspective album. Yeah, and but but maybe it, it took introspective to make behaviour. You know, it's 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 that kind of chicken and egg, really, isn't it? And you know, I, I like the idea that all these people got into the band because of introspective. Uh, and then they got this second album, this behaviour album, and they all piled onto that, and and suddenly they actually got an introspective autumnal. That's album. right. Yeah, and it's you know where do you go when you've pushed the pop envelope so so far that you've you know you've ripped it up? Well, behaviour, you know, like you say, it's an album that's even more introspective than introspective. So I feel like we should wrap this yeah. up in terms of is. Is introspective prog now, you know, when I posited this, of course, I didn't think that it was progressive rock music, but I do feel that maybe we've uh, shared, particularly through your uh, your four, your guide to what what <laughs> makes prog prog, uh, your four-point guide, or was it Simon's four-point well, guide? Well, I think it was mine. I think Simon will be shouting at me when he listens to this <laughs> that he never said any of this. <laughs> are, are we going to claim that, yes... It is prog. It, it hits all, all four points. I think we. I think. I think definitely. I mean, I think it's. You know, and and I think Simon was quite keen to say that. You know, 
there isn't one style of prog. You know, there, there's, it's a broad church and, and lots can be accommodated within that. And I think if that's a catch-all, then we can kind of claim that as our catch-all. But, you know, it's, I guess it's a spirit really, isn't it? It's a spirit of ambition, a spirit of not sticking to the rules, of, of maybe just going with what you want to go with. The spirit of prog. A spirit of prog, yeah. Uh, and, well, whether or not it is or it isn't prog, it's definitely unhinged, it's brash. It's mad, it's out there, it's experimental, and of course it is very introspective. Absolutely, and that's not bad just for six songs, three of which are covers. Yeah, we've got three covers, all the B-side are covers, I'm, I'm claiming that. <laughs> well, there we go, podcast done. That's another tick. Well, there can't be, uh, can't be that many podcasts out there that not only cover Pet Shop Boys, but managed to rope in the incredible string, string band, uh, Yes, U2, Everything, <laughs> and, and also put together their own 15-track uh, version of the album. Well, we did say it would be in-depth. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Portia, Phoebe, Connor and Connor for helping out with recording and production. And thanks again to Paul Jackson for all the musical excerpts you've heard. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to creating the next one. Goodbye. Goodbye.